God bless you this morning for your faithfulness in giving. May the Lord richly reward you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, um, we're blessed, and I'm excited to hear uh, the servant of the Lord, Dr. Mike Caparelli, that's going to come and minister the Word of God. God has uniquely gifted him, and he has uniquely prepared himself to be a vessel uh, to be used in a, in a very strategic way. Um, you're going to hear more about his ministry. He's got several books. But you know what? Something that really impressed my wife and I had dinner with them this past week. Something that really impressed us about them. Uh, uh, Mike Caparelli has a Ph.D. in behavioral sciences. I can't even say the word. He's got a Ph.D. in the... And he's written several books, and his schedule is filled up every week preaching around the nation at, at many different sites and venues and large churches. God has opened some great doors for him. But you know what so blessed me about him? When we had dinner with him, he told me, Pastor Mike, uh, this Pastor Mike, he told me, he said that he is volunteering as a youth leader at his church during the summer. Of all times during the summer, that's like the holy grail of, of for Christians. They don't want to work in the summer. <laughs> but but he's volunteering on a weeknight to serve under a pastor, a youth pastor, at another church, his home church, Restoration Church in North Providence. I, I think that is that is honorable, willing to serve. And his wife wanted to be here today. She said, I want to be planted in my home church. I'm going to be greeting, and I'm working in children's ministry. Now, these are servants of God being mightily used by God, but they understand the importance of being rooted and grounded and serving in a local church, not just sitting in a pew in a prominent place, but, but serving. So God bless you. God will exalt the humble, and he is exalting you. Would you just open up your heart and receive the ministry of the servant of God. Would you just give him a great big victory welcome this morning? Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Richard. Good morning. Uh, great friends with your pastor and Lisa. Uh, so much happening in this church. Every time I, I come, this is my third year. God is doing something new. Uh, that's the leadership of this church. God moving through that leadership and giving them vision and ideas. And I pray that you rally around them in prayer and that you'd support uh, the vision that, they've, that God has given them. And uh, how many know that division really is two visions and it takes unity to get the job done? Amen? How many are blessed to say Pastor Richard and Lisa is my pastor? Amen. I do represent a ministry called Unmuted. Unmuted is about giving victims of trauma their voices back. We have an enemy that wants to take away our voices. I do work in 20 centers a year uh, in about 50 to 55 churches, uh, 17 states, three countries last year. And uh, God's been doing some really amazing things. Uh, so many of us have been traumatized. Uh, my PhD is in behavioral science. Um, although I am very much uh, astute in the area of psychology. My first and foremost mission is to preach the gospel. I believe the Bible is the greatest psychology book ever written. Amen. 
Uh, my wife is not here. By the way, I don't have my wedding ring on. It's only because she bought me a white gold ring, didn't know I was allergic to it, and my whole hand broke out in a rash. <laughs> so I am married. So <laughs> I do have a couple of books uh, for sale. You can see me afterwards. Uh, just released last week. Uh, believe it or not, there's some errors, like grammar and layout errors with this book. So it's originally $20. We're selling it for $15. Uh, it'll be re-released in a couple of weeks with my spiritual mother, Jackie Stradoff, writing the foreword of the book. Uh, but today, if you want to purchase it because it's, it's got some errors, um, it is $5 off the ticket price. So it's 15 instead of 20 And then Dr. Jesus was released last year. This is a devotions for anyone uh, with mental health issues. If you're like me and you got more issues than Newsweek, this is the book for you. Amen? Anybody here have more issues than Newsweek? Listen, we're all here because we're not all there. Right? Can we say we're all here because we're not all there? Okay. You can get both these books for $30 $30 instead of $35. You save a $5 deal. And then those of you that are involved in any type of toxic relationship, unequal rendezvous, the ox in the ass. Amen. We'll leave the title alone. Okay. I do have a word for you this morning. Open up your Bible to Mark chapter 4. I, I, I was betwixt in between two messages uh, for this Sunday. And uh, finally the Lord made it clear last night what I was to preach. And uh, yeah, I'll preach both. We'll be leaving at 3 o'clock today. Can you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Mark chapter 4, you can scroll down to verse 39. So these two mafia hitmen, this is not in the Bible, by the way. They're walking through the woods, some dark woods in Connecticut somewhere. And uh, one mafia hitman says to the other mafia hitman, he says, I got to admit, he says, I'm kind of scared walking through these woods. The other mafia hitman says, how do you think I feel? I got to walk back alone. Anybody here escape some pretty hairy predicaments? If the Lord had not been on your side? Anybody survive some storms? Narrow escapes? Close calls? Anybody know anything about a close call? Hallelujah. I want to talk to you about storms. But I want to talk to you about after the storm. Somebody say after the storm. Somebody say the storm is over. The real battle begins after the storm. Father, bless this word. Father, I pray for not only a mouth to speak, but I pray for it more importantly, ears to hear. The Bible doesn't say he who has a mouth, let him speak. It says, let he who has ears, let him hear. This morning, let us hear the word of God and be transformed for it. Bless this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 39. The Bible says Jesus gets up, he rebukes the wind, and the Bible says that all is calm. Somebody say calm. Calm. He says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You may be seated. 
most of the battles we face in life are, are really not uh, during the calamity, but they're in the aftermath of the tragedy. I mean, there is a certain level of stress that's taking place during a storm, uh, but the fact is when we go through a crisis of any sort, whatever the ordeal is, adrenaline is pumping through your veins. Adrenaline is a neurotransmitter that anesthetizes all physical and all emotional pain. In fact, if you work out, uh, you know you could be injured in the morning and not feel it until the evening. How many know what I'm talking about? Because when you injure yourself in the morning, adrenaline is pumping through your body. In adrenaline, it anesthetizes all pain. But when the adrenaline begins to subside and all is calm, somebody say calm. calm. Now we feel the pain. The real struggles are not in the unfolding of the calamity, but in the aftermath of the tragedy. In the book of Job, only one chapter describes the calamity, but 29 chapters describe the aftermath of the tragedy. In our passage of study, the storm is over. Jesus speaks to the storm, but when he's done speaking to the storm, he has to speak to their souls because it is one thing to come out of the crisis it is another thing for the crisis to come out of you the wind has stopped shaking the boat has stopped jerking but their knees have not stopped quaking because they've come out of the crisis but the crisis has not come out of them we call this post-traumatic stress it's coming out of a trauma, but the trauma not coming out of you. Now, some of you might think to yourselves, I've really never had much trauma in my life. If you are born and you are breathing, then you've been traumatized. Birth itself, according to Genesis chapter 3, God says to Eve, in agony you will deliver children. That word agony is not just speaking of the agony of the mother, but it is speaking of the agony of the child. Birth itself is trauma. Listen, nine months, you were in your mother's womb. It was, you were cozy, you were comfy, you were snug. It was the only world you knew. In fact, if you had it your way, you would stay inside that womb. In fact, some of you are 40 and you haven't left her basement. That's a whole nother sermon. Amen? <laughs> some of you moms like, preach that one. That's a good one to preach. Please, preach it. Here you are, you're in the womb, nine months, comfy, cozy, snug, and all of a sudden, you hear noises, all of a sudden, <laughs> you go from the womb into the world, fluorescent lights, and what's the first thing you do? <laughs> you were born in trauma. All of life is a series of unfortunate crises. All of life is a series of storms. And you and I, we go through the storms, but what's more significant is what's going through us. We come out of the crisis, but oftentimes that crisis, it doesn't come out 
of us. That is the predicament of the disciples in Mark chapter 4. The Bible says it's calm. But sometimes when you go through enough crazy, calm is more scary than crazy. How many have gotten more adjusted to crazy than calm? In fact, when things are calm, you're nervous. The old term the ancients would use, evil foreboding. You're dreading what's ahead. You're expecting that any second, the storm that just happened then, at any moment, that storm is going to happen again. We call this fear. In fact, there's 251 neurotic and psychotic disorders that are listed in the DSM. That's the diagnostic manual that psychiatrists use. And the common denominator between all neurosis and all psychosis is this word fear. Fear is the residuals of having coming out of a storm. Every storm will leave behind it a trail of wreckage. And you and I, oftentimes, our minds are the wreckage. Our hearts are the wreckage. Our souls are the wreckage. I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't just speak to the storm, but he speaks to my soul. He speaks to the storm on the sea, but he speaks to the storm in me. Amen? In this passage, he speaks to the storm, but then he speaks to their souls because in this moment, they are afraid. They're anticipating that in any second, what happened then is going to happen again. I mean, what I'm talking about. This woman, when she was a little girl, her house was burglarized. Very traumatizing experience. And she gets married. And for 40 years, her husband's got to hear the same thing every, every night. Did you lock the doors? Yes, I locked the doors. Are the windows shut? Windows are shut. The pit bull's standing at its post. The pit bull's at its post. Everything is locked down. Everything is locked down. 40 years, here's the same thing over and over and over again. Well, the night finally comes. He wakes up. He's going to the bathroom. He's walking through the dark hallway, bumps into an intruder, looks at the intruder, he smiles. He says, pleasure to meet you. He says, please go upstairs, introduce yourself to my wife. She's been waiting to meet you for 40 years. That's good, that's good. Waiting, expecting, foreboding, dreading, anticipating the crisis that just Happen then at any second it's going to happen again. I got news for you. Most of the stuff that you worry about doesn't even come to pass. The Bible says, why do you worry? You do not add a single hour to your life by worrying. Today has enough trouble of its own. But I got news for you. Even if the trouble never comes to pass, we know through science that your cortisol levels, cortisol is a stress hormone, your cortisol levels are higher in the anticipation of a problem than in the actualization of the problem. You're more stressed in expecting it. So even if it never comes to pass, we waste our lives away. Waiting for the problem. Now, can I, can I get a little scientific with you? Any geeks in the house, amen? When God designed your brain, if we can go to the slide on the brain, please. Thank you. 
When God designed your brain, he designed your brain so that there are two parts of your brain. This is an oversimplification, but there are two divisions. Inside of you, there is an analyst, and inside of you, there is an animal. The analyst is the critically thinking region of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. The analyst is the part of your brain that calculates every decision. It's the logician in you. It's the part of your brain that solves problems. We all have an analyst inside of us. God designed us with a mind. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Somebody said, don't lose your head. Don't lose your head. Don't lose your head over your prodigal son. Don't lose your head over your Jezebel girlfriend. Don't lose your head over your job. Don't lose your head. We have an analyst, amen? But not only do we have an analyst, we also have an animal. There's an instinctual part of our brain, the limbic system, the amygdala, the hippocampus. There's a logical part of you, but there's an instinctual part of you. There's an analyst in you, and there's an animal in you. The analyst handles the day-to-day operations. The animal is on standby for a crisis. Thank God for that part of your brain. God made you to survive. Amen? Amen. If the car is coming at 50 miles per hour, you're in the middle of the street, the analyst is not fast enough to respond. You need the animal, the instinctual part of you, the part of Jesus that when he saw a threat, when he saw the crowds coming, he knew when it was time to leave. He knew when it was time to flight. God put an analyst in you and he put an animal in you. There's an analyst in you and there's an animal. When Paul speaks of joy in Philippians, he doesn't say, feel these things. He says, think upon these things. Don't lose your head. Now, something very peculiar happens when we go through crisis. We can see this on an fMRI. What happens in a crisis is ordinarily your analyst is leading the way, the day-to-day operations, balancing the checkbooks, making logical decisions. The animal is on standby. He's waiting for a crisis to happen. But when you go through enough storms, the animal now leads the way and the analyst is on standby. It's a good thing to have a dog, but it's one thing to walk the dog. It's another thing for the dog to walk you. Living every moment as if it's a crisis on high alert, living every second as if it's a disaster, expecting trouble when there is no trouble, fighting when there's no reason to fight, flighting when there's no reason to flight, leaving this church to go to that church. And God is saying today, be not afraid. So we have an analyst and we have an animal. But when we go through enough crisis, the animal is leading the way and we can't discern the difference between a circumstance and a crisis. Every circumstance feels just like a crisis. This is the predicament of the disciples. I work with people that are going through trauma. Um, in fact, right now I'm doing a case study on David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. How many know the name? 
David Berkowitz was a serial killer who killed six people and he injured nine uh, in the 1970s in New York City. Gave his life to Christ in 1988. He's been a Christian for 35 years. I meet with David Berkowitz twice a month for about 10 hours, uh, conducting a case study on the impact of early childhood trauma and its intersection with demonic possession because we have a devil that preys on the afflicted. Just read the book of Job. He preys on the afflicted. He prays on the traumatized. I haven't met one person that's demonized that has at one point wasn't traumatized that in the affliction, the enemy, he's prowling the earth looking for someone whom he may devour. Please pray for that case study. It will be featured in a podcast interview. I'm partnering with Don Wilkerson. I'll be at his home this week for two days. We're going to go into the prisons and actually record uh, one of the interviews. Uh, David's story will be featured in a book that we're putting together, uh, that I'm putting together for next year. Um, in fact, if you want to get on our email list, um, just see me afterwards. You can give me your email. We'll keep you updated. But trauma, affliction, storms. We come out of these storms and they, 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 they do something to our brains. They leave us in a state of fear where we're expecting the crisis that just happened then at any second, it's going to happen again. Reminds me of this guy, he's a city slicker. He's from New York and he, uh, he leaves the city, he moves the country. Here he is in the middle of the country. He don't know anything about the country. Moves next door to a farmer. 3 a.m. in the morning, he hears cock begin to crow, wakes up out of his sleep. Now all week he can't sleep. Packs his bags, says, I'm going back to the Bronx. He packs his bags, he leaves the country, knocks on the farmer's door. He says to the farmer, he says, your cock kept me up all night. He said, that rooster crowed. He said, I, I can't sleep. The farmer said, that's impossible. He says, he only crows for about five minutes and he only crows once a night. He says, oh, but I wait all night, tossing and turning, anticipating the cock to crow. What are you anticipating right now? What are you expecting? That's, what that basically comes down to is the word Jesus uses in this passage, fear. Now, I want to speak to you this morning. I want to go a little deeper. I want to give you two biblical remedies for fear. One of them is right in this passage, and the other one is in 1 John chapter 4. I want to talk to you about love, and I want to talk to you about faith. The two biblical remedies for fear, love and faith. Somebody say love. Somebody say faith. faith. When the love is high, the fear is low. When the faith is high, the fear is low. Can we talk about each of these from a scriptural and a scientific vantage point? Love and faith. Two remedies for all fear. Two remedies that will cure you of all crisis. It'll not only take you out of the storm, but it'll take the storm out of you. John speaks of love. Jesus speaks of faith. Both of these remedies deal with your fear. Amen? Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. If you can go to that slide. The Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear. Love is high. The fear is low. When the love is low, the fear is high. Amen? 
When we say perfect love, ordinarily what we think of is divine love juxtaposed with human love, but this is not the context of this phrase. John is not comparing divine love with human love. In fact, the word perfect doesn't mean flawless. The word perfect means complete. He defines perfect love in verse 12 of the same chapter. He says God's love is perfected in us as we love one another. So he is speaking not of just the love of worship, but he's speaking of the love of fellowship, that when we walk in the love of fellowship, fear cannot thrive. Pastor Richard mentioned now there's so many mental health issues right now because two years of quarantining, two years of isolation, when the love is low, the fears are high. But when we're walking in that complete circuitry, we receive love from heaven, we extend that love to the brethren, there's a complete circuit, power begins to flow in a complete circuit. We need love, amen? amen? We need not just love from God, but we need love from each other. Don't tell me that all you need is God's love. Adam had all the love that a man could ever have. I don't know what he was doing, but God looked at Adam and God said, it ain't good for him to be alone. I don't know if he's sticking his toes in his nose. I don't know if he's talking to himself. I don't know if he was playing with his feet. I don't know what he was doing, but God said, this brother needs a friend. Look at your neighbor and say, you need a friend. Look at your neighbor and say, you, you need a friend. Say, I'll be your friend. Listen, you know how social you are? God made you as a social being. You can't function alone. It is not good for man to be alone. When that love is low, all of your anxieties and all of your fears, your neurosis, your psychosis, your paranoia, all of it is high when the love is low. But when the love is high, all of your fears are low. You and I need each other. We need each other so desperately that if you are on an island, abandoned, cast away by yourself, you would take a volleyball, paint a face on it, and call it Wilson. That's how bad you need connection. You got a, a gland in your brain. It sits right under your brain. It's the master gland of your body. It's called the pituitary gland. Keeps your organs healthy. Gives you good sleep. Keeps you emotionally balanced. One of the things that activates the pituitary gland is physical touch. When you're out of touch, you're out of touch. You lose touch, you're out of touch. Talk to people that lose touch with the body of Christ. Theologically, out of touch. I mean, come up with all sorts of strange doctrines. Socially, out of touch. Psychologically, out of touch. Because you were made for fellowship. Not just worship, but you were made for the complete circuitry. God's perfect love. It casts out all fear. You hearing this? You got a lot of storms going on inside of you? Get connected. Years ago, Austrian psychologist Renee Spritzer went to South America, 
conduct a case study on an orphanage that didn't have the time to hold the babies. The caretakers were in such disenfranchised conditions. They could never hold the babies. And over the course of time, because the babies had no touch, they developed a condition called dwarfism. They didn't grow. They didn't develop properly. The pituitary gland wasn't activated. And there are spiritual dwarfs in the body of Christ, undeveloped saints, people that know the word, people that know Jesus, but they're undeveloped. They never come into who God created them to be because they lose touch. And because they lose touch, they're out of touch. And God is saying this morning, if there are fears in your life, forsake not the assembling together. You need each other. He made you for fellowship. I'm so glad, live stream, you're watching. I thank God for technology. I'm glad that God is keeping you safe, but I pray that he would lead you out of that lonely place, back into fellowship, because we need each other. I don't care how dysfunctional that person is next to you. If you spot it, you got it. Chances are you know how dysfunctional they are because you know how dysfunctional you are. If you spot it, you got it. The day I bought a Honda Civic in 2016, all of a sudden I saw Honda Civics all over the road because if you spot it, you got it. Right? I promise you, Honda didn't make any more Hondas the day I bought that car. But when you got it, you notice it everywhere. You need that person next to you. You need them. And I don't care how many times you say, I believe one of the greatest cultural deceptions is that you shouldn't care what other people think about you. The Bible says that your name is valuable. You should care what people think about you. Relationships are important. People are worth the trouble. You need people in your life. Stop saying you don't care what people think of you. In fact, that is a Freudian slip. It is an inadvertent admission that you do care because you care that I know that you don't care. Twelve years of college and behavioral science education to be able to say that one. Right? We, need, we need each other, amen? So the love is what drives out all fear. Now let's talk about the faith. Jesus says, where's your faith? You still have no faith? Now, faith is one of those tools in the shed. You can use it many ways. There's a multiplicity of applications of faith in the epistles and the Old Testament. Begs the question, what kind of faith is Jesus speaking of in this passage? The Greek term is pistos, P-I-S-T-O-S. It means evidence. It means evidence that convinces the doubter. It means evidence that persuades the skeptic. When he says, where's your faith? He's saying, go back and look at the evidence. Look, look at what just happened. Now, let me, let me talk to you about trauma. Let, let me talk to you specifically about what trauma does to the hippocampus. It's the memory part of the brain. Trauma affects the hippocampus in such a way that all you remember is the pain. It's all you remember. You go through enough crisis, all you remember is the agony. The disciples have just come out of a storm. They've come out of this rush and they're living in the rush. They're living as if the storm is still raging. They're living in the rush, but they forgot the hush. 
They remember the difficulty, but they forget the deliverance. They remember the mayhem, but they forget the miracle. They remember the affliction, but they forget the exodus. There was a pit that you were in, but there was a hand that came and pulled you out of that pit. He's saying, go back and look at the evidence. You remember the rush. You're living in the rush. You live every second in the rush. You're constantly rehashing and rehearsing the rush of the storm, but you're forgetting that the hush was more powerful than the rush. May I submit something to you about the traumas you've gone through in your past? Your explanations of the trauma are more impactful than your experiences. How you explain it. How you see it and how you say it. Trauma does something to the brain where all we remember is the tragedy and we forget the testimony. We remember the violence of the storm, but we forget the silence of the storm. We forget that there was a Savior who was greater than every adversity. We forget that, yes, we went through a lot, but we got through it. Go back and look at the evidence. Now, I, I do workshops on recovering from trauma all the time with pastors and churches, and I hear the same line from pastors all the time. I haven't heard from your pastor. He's a little bit more astute than that, but I hear this all the time. I hear it all the time. I hear this. I hear the people in this church, the problem with the people is that they remember the past too much. And my argument it is, no, no. Trauma is not a matter of remembering the past too much. It's a matter of not remembering it enough. Because when the brain goes through trauma, all it remembers is snippets of pain. It remembers the knife pressed against your neck. It remembers the feeling of panic. It remembers that perverted touch. It remembers all the horror. But oftentimes it forgets the knock at the door, the social worker who pulled you out of the home, the loving parents who adopted you and who called you your own. God is saying this morning, never mind the tragedy. Remember the testimony. Yes. And of course, they argue with Scripture and say, well, the Bible says forgetting all things. No, Paul is speaking of forgetting the accolades that made him conceited. The weight of Scripture would suggest that you remember your past. What you meant for evil, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So these poor physicians that tell you you should forget your past, number one, how's that working out for you? Because the more you try to forget something, the more you solidify the memory of it. And secondly, when I read the prophets, I read Isaiah and Jeremiah reiterating the history of Israel, reminding them of the pits from whence they came, but not just reminding you of the rush, but reminding you that there was a hush and it was more powerful than the rush. We got to go back and look at the evidence. Because what's killing us is not our experiences, but the explanations of the experiences, how we see it and how we say it. When you look back at your past, do you see a trail of blood or do you see footprints in the sand? I don't, I don't read the Bible and read men that are forgetting things behind them. 
I read David who said, my mother and my father rejected me, but the Lord received me from the days of my youth. He was with me. The weight of scripture would say, you need to remember. The problem is not that you're not remembering. You're remembering too much. The problem is you're not remembering enough. The enemy wants you to just get stuck on little snippets, freeze frames, stuck in a moment, stuck in a second, stuck in one minute of time, living and reliving that minute over and over again. And God is saying there's more to the story. You know your trauma, but what you need to know is the truth because the truth will set you free. And the truth is so much greater than the trauma. It's not just your story. It's his story and all that he did for you. You know, the enemy's walking one day, he's following a Christian. He's got his little understudy with him, little minion demon. He sees the Christian pick up something shiny. The demon says to the devil, he says, what did he pick up? He says, he picked up a piece of the truth. He says, aren't you going to do something? He said, nah, I'll just see that he builds his whole life on that one piece of truth. Is it true you were molested? Is it true you were abandoned? Is it true that you were betrayed? Absolutely. But what's the truth? Because the truth is so much bigger. What the devil meant to destroy you. God meant to develop you. You want the storm to come out of you? You come out of the storm. But you want the storm to come out of you? Look back at the storm and realize that at the the most... Uh, agonizing moments of your past at the most intense moment of fury there was a savior he came and the savior was so much greater than every other player in your story savior is greater than the monster the Savior was greater than the molester. The Savior was greater than the abandoner. The Savior was greater than the one who betrayed you. The Savior was greater than the abuser. He was greater than every other storm in your life. It's all how you see it, and it's all how you say it. I help people walk through their stories and tell their stories in its entirety. And something happens in the brain. Now those trauma moments all of a sudden are put in context. And there are effects. We see it on an fMRI. We've been using this kind of therapy for years. Secularists have used it. Get people to tell the story. Teen challenges used it for centuries. Just get people to tell their testimony. As they tell their story, they overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb. That's his story. And the word of your testimony, that's your story. There is a power to overcome when his story meets with your story. Am I helping anybody here? It's all how we see it and all how we say it. I I believe today God wants to get rid of some fear in you. You You're reliving and rehashing a moment. And there's so much more than a moment. There's a bigger story. Worship team, can you come up? Hallelujah. My phone number is right up there. If you want to email me, your email, I'll put you on the unmuted email list. In fact, if you can go to the next slide, I want to show you a picture of David Berkowitz. You can keep him in prayer. That's David at a second visit. I've visited him six times so far. And uh, I'll be visiting him Friday. I get about three or four emails from him a week. Amazing what God can do. Hallelujah. Yes. A gospel that is not powerful enough to save 
and redeem a serial killer is not a gospel at all. That's right. That's right. That's true. God has done such a work in this man's mind and in his heart. 35 years. He's so lucid. He's so reasonable. He's so meek, so mild-mannered. That is the work of God. When he looks back at his story, he sees it in its entirety. He knows the dark moments. He's well aware. He's not running from them. But he sees the bigger picture. Now, you know, I don't know if you know this name or not, but Rocky Marciano was a boxer in the 1950s. Died of a pl- in a plane crash in the 60s. But he, he grew up in a very poor neighborhood in Brockton. And uh, he was very ashamed of his past. The house that he grew up in in Brockton, it still stands just dilapidated, falling apart. And when he was growing up in that house, he, he wouldn't bring any friends over. He didn't want them to see how he was living. And he had, you know, the floor, would, it was so poor. The house was so run down. The floor would, would cave in. And he would, he would practice boxing in the gym, his basement. But because the floor was caved in, Rocky Marciano was about 5'9", five, 5'10", five, he would have to stoop down because he didn't want to hit his head on the ceiling. And as he was standing, he was so ashamed of this very adversity were the conditions that caused him to learn his famous uppercut punch. I don't know what it is that God has used in your life. He didn't choose it, but he uses it. He didn't choose that you were molested. He didn't choose that you were abandoned. He didn't choose that you were given up for adoption. He didn't choose your circumstances. He didn't choose it, but he will use it. It accentuates his artistry that he can take anything and he can use it. If you put a pencil in the hands of Van Gogh, he will make art. It shows off his ability. If you put a pencil in my hand, you're going to get some doodling. But if you put it in the hands of Van Gogh, you will get art. And if you take the shambles of your life and you put it in the hands of God, if you give him your ashes, he will make something beautiful. He'll take chicken poop and make chicken soup. He will. Amen, right? I don't want to eat it, but amen. Stand up with me. Hallelujah. I, I believe there are people here, and for a long time you've been living in this hyper alert, on edge state, anticipating trouble, worried, constantly expecting a problem. And your stress levels are high, foreboding. I pray right now, peace. I pray the calm. I pray you become comfortable in the calm. You're good under pressure, but the Lord is saying, it's not good for you to live under pressure constantly. I give you eternal life, but I also give you the abundant life. I'm glad you have eternal life, but it's time that you start living the abundant life. Not stressed, not depressed blessed that's you you're saying you know what Dr. Caparelli I'm not used to the calm calm makes me nervous calm makes me nervous I'm always waiting for the cock to crow if that's you I want you to come to this altar I'm going to pray for you hallelujah 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 Hallelujah. 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 I'm going to pray peace, harmony over your house. Those of you that have come out of some type of trauma, 
and you're expecting it to happen as it happened before. Today, Lord, give us new hearts and new minds. Today, Lord, help us re-examine the evidence. Go back and look and see. Yeah, there was a storm, but the Savior was greater than the storm. There was crisis, but there was a Christ, and he was greater than every crisis. There was adversity, but his sovereignty trumped every adversity. I pray right now, Lord, we would live. Live fully, abundantly. All worry must go. All dreadful thoughts must go. Hallelujah. We expect great things. My future is bright. Say that with me. My future is bright. Plans not to harm me. Plans not to harm my children. Your son is not going to die. Your daughter is not going to die. God's hand is on that boy. God's hand is on that girl. Bring that boy to me. Bring the boy to me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Great things. I'm expecting promises to come to pass. I'm expecting answers to prayer. I'm expecting God to move. I'm believing it's going to be good. I don't know how, but it's going to be good. Hallelujah. Storm is over. Somebody say, the storm is over. Believe it. Receive it. The storm is over. COVID is over. The pandemic is over. It's over. It's over. I pray new relationships. I pray new relationships. And we wouldn't expect our next to act like our ex. Amen. New relationships, new chapters, new things. Give us eyes to see it, Lord. We're looking for the old. Hallelujah. Listen, we, we have such a pull to the familiar. Man, I, I could quote one study after another. We just look for what was. And we repeat what was. We just do what we always did. I always tell people when they ask me about intuition, discernment, they say, how do you get good intuition? I say, it's real simple. Just develop a good memory. Because people will do what they already did. And if you know what they did, you can predict what they'll do. That's simple. We're creatures of habit. We just keep repeating, rehashing, rehearsing. I pray a new thing over this church. I pray for new works over that youth ministry. I pray for new happenings, new opportunities. Out with the old, in with the new. Oh God, new fire. Fresh fire, Lord. How many need something new? If you need something new, come to this altar. I need something new in my life. I've been repeating what was. Something new. Something new. Raise my sights, oh God. Raise my sights. Expect more. God is going to give you more than what you ask and imagine. Because you're, you're too easily pleased. Hallelujah. Yes. Circumstances would change. Oh, God. I pray that the fear inside would flee in Jesus.